2: It's a Thursday get-together.
3: You're on the Jacob Sports Media YouTube channel. We are your Mac and Mac guys. John McMullen and Jody McDonald. Yes, I'm here for the start of the show. One last time, I'll apologize for yesterday. I, I actually figured out, Jay mac I set my alarm, but the problem was, I set it for a midday nap, which I had done the day before, and Mm -hmm. I turned it on. It wasn't going to go off till 1 o'clock in the afternoon. That doesn't work when you got to be up at 8 o'clock to do Birds 365. I'm glad to be here for the entire two hours today. Can you put up with me for two hours today?
4: We'll see. I think so. We've done this. How many shows we've gotten off that? We've done so many shows now. I feel like it's second nature. We're going to get through the two hours. There's just how many times are we going to disagree in those two hours? I think this is week ten. Yeah, so, so we're we're rolling.
3: We're we're sneaking up on our fiftieth show tomorrow. Tomorrow will either be our forty fifth or our fiftieth show. Oh, but we had a couple of days off for uh, Memorial Day.
4: Memorial yeah, Day. Back to yeah. those two in. So yeah. tomorrow will either be our forty third or our forty eighth. We show. gotta have a big blowout for number hundred. I gotta figure out what day that is. Our first hundred days. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. everyone. Cracks that, and uh, that tells you what
3: you've actually accomplished. Sander, that's
4: your homework. Figure out when number one hundred is. Figure out the date. We right, got to get that ready. We got to get Joe Krause to give him giveaways. We got to go the whole nine yards. We got a lot to do because we got a summer to kill before the
3: Eagles actually get back out there. I'm getting the ahead field. of myself.
4: <laughs> getting ahead of myself.
3: Well, we appreciate that, and uh, yeah, the Eagles gave you a little something, something to sink your teeth into the last couple of days yesterday it was offensive assistant coaches or excuse me yesterday it was defensive assistant coaches The day before that it was offensive assistant coaches except for jeff stoutman he didn't get the hang with his offensive guys so they threw him out in front of the defensive guys yesterday and i would say he was probably the star of the show of all the guys you talked to so we'll start there uh jeff Stoutland, i'll give him this much he's looking forward he's not looking backwards Yeah. Uh, no. They tried to get him to look backwards yesterday, and he wanted no part of it whatsoever. He's only worrying about what's going forward with this football team.
4: Yeah, understandably so. You know, Jeff was sort of the main event. He was the last guy talking of the assistant coaches. I think the Eagles kind of knew this is, this is the guy. This is the veteran guy. This is the guy who's been here. By the way, you know, forget about Doug Peterson. He was here under Chip Kelly. So, you know, that's sort of the NFL. Once you get a good offensive line coach, you hold on to them like grim deaths. I don't care how many times you, you, you change head coaches. If you can get them back, you can get them back. And you remember, Jody, way back uh, during the hiring cycle, there was a report. I think Bruce Feldman put it out uh, from The Athletic is one of the best in the business when it comes to covering college football. Saint Jeff was going back to Alabama, right? And so when when Bruce does that, it's pretty much a done deal. So the Eagles managed to convince him to stay. Uh, I think that's very big. We talked about if this team's going to overachieve, it's going to be because of the offensive line. Bottom line, uh, and they have to figure out left tackle. They have to cross their fingers for the health uh, of of the rest of the veteran players. But, you know, we've talked to – in the offseason, we've talked to Jason Kelsey, Jordan Mailata, Andre Dillard, Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks. The one thing they all agreed on is, man, thank God we have Stout back. So that kind of tells you the respect of his players. But I do want to bring up, and I think the Jeff McClain question is the one that kind of blew up on social media because Jeff Jeff asked Jeff Stoutland, uh, of what happened with with Doug Peterson and the organization and Carson Wentz. So number one, I, I want to say the question was fine. Sure. For all these people saying, oh, you why are you asking me? the question was fine. Now the problem with Zoom is everybody gets to watch and you don't know what the guy is working on. He might want a no comment. You might want a veteran coach on the record. Essentially you got a no comment, but Jeff did it, Stoutland did it and his style and, you know, the gesticulations. And, you know, he mentioned he loved Jeff McClain. I I thought it was ironic, Jody, that he went, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) And then at the very end, if people stuck around, he said, maybe after I retire, we'll do a podcast. And I'll tell you all about it, essentially. He knows. He knows what went on. He also was smart enough and political enough to say, okay, that's not my lane, Right, I'm going to go in a different direction. But I, I, my pet peeve, and you probably have figured this out, Jody, by this point, my pet peeve is that part of the fan base, and it's not everybody, but that part of the fan base that only wants positivity at all times and no, wants no criticism and wants no difficult questions, I, I don't – Get you people, it's the most depressing part of my job that you expect us to do that. And if we don't do it, you don't like us. It's absurd. You don't understand the first thing about journalism. And, and by the way, Jody, when I get on social media and I'm talking to, I don't know, a doctor or, or a lawyer, I don't pretend to be an expert about those professions. Everybody's an expert. On reporting and journalism, and it's pretty evident from your first sense, you don't have a damn clue of what people in journalism do. So don't talk about it like you're an expert.
3: Right. Yeah, uh, that's my pet peeve. You you kind of I think you answered your own pet peeve question. The answer is social media, that there is so much of it out there, and so many people on it. That when you have a fan who is Mr. Positivity, wants to wave the pom-poms, wants to only think about the good things for the team that they root with, they can find it. There is someone on social media who's going to go down that road with the same mindset that they have, and they think that that's great. God forbid someone like yourself, a journalist, should try and do fair and balanced reporting, which means you're going to get the good with the bad. Oh, they don't like that. You hold yourself to certain standards that others on social media throw right out the window. No, no, no. We're here to root and cheer and only look at the upsides for our hometown team. That's why there are so many people out there. Because it used to be, if you were like 25, 30 years ago, if you were one of those uh, put the team-colored-glasses-on kind of fan and only saw it through the team-colored glasses, well, you were by yourself. Now you've got legions of others who think just like you do on social media, and we're going to rally and shoot down a guy like John McClain because how dare he say the Eagles aren't going to be a winning team this upcoming year? He shouldn't have the job he has. We here on social media should be the ones who have the job because we're back
4: in the hometown team.
3: And I, 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 I do want to
4: say there are still people who value objective work, and I'm thankful for those people. I'm very thankful for those people because I, I still think they're ma- the majority. But they don't complain because all they want is information, and all they want is to learn about the team. I'll use Jamie Newman as an example. There was a group of fans uh, stunned, absolutely stunned, Jody, that the Eagles would cut – an undrafted kid who they gave no guaranteed money in June because, you know, they're getting smoke blown up there, you know what, from the draft site saying, oh, this kid was great, this kid was this, he opted out, he should have been drafted, blah, blah, blah. And by the way, I agree, if he went to Georgia and he played, he's probably getting drafted. He probably right. screwed himself by, by opting out of last season. You know, he had family issues, so you understand why. But that's why those decisions are difficult because you have to weigh them. And it really affected his future in this league. Now, again, he's an undrafted guy with no guaranteed money. He's already cut in June. But you had a group of fans that are just like, oh, my God, how do you cut Jamie Newman? He's undrafted. They didn't give him one penny to come in here. He was the easiest cut in the world. Which we
3: didn't actually know about, or at least I didn't. Maybe you did. Did you know that he got zero guarantees? Because most of these undrafted free agents, they get some guaranteed money. Not a lot, but some guaranteed money, and some get more than others, and some just basically, like we found out Jamie Newman does, get nothing. You get your uh, uh, off-season salary to show up for these uh, mini training camps, these OTAs, and that's it. If they cut you so sad, uh, too bad, you're done. Uh, I had no idea that that was the case because it wasn't reported when he immediately signed. Maybe some of you guys came up with that information after the fact, but I didn't know that he was. And it tells you that there probably wasn't that much competition for his services. If there was another team that wanted him as much, if not more than the Eagles, all they had to do was put a couple 10,000 on uh, the table for guaranteed, and he probably would have signed there.
4: Um, couple, well, a couple things, not necessarily because it's very, one of the positive things about being an undrafted free agent is you can pick where you want to go. So I think Jamie probably looked at the landscape and said, who needs a quarterback and I'll go into Philadelphia. So he might've gotten a little bit of, you know, when we're talking about signing bonuses when undrafted guys, for instance, the, the most money the Eagles gave anybody was Jack stole the tight end about a hundred and, 15000 I think it was, somewhere in that range. Um, That's the kind of money you're talking about. That's a lot of money for an undrafted free agent. Uh, Tabon Grimes, who they also waived, but waived him with an injured designation, got $82,500. So those are sort of higher level uh, undrafted free agent signing bonuses. That was the top of the Eagles budget, so to speak, for undrafted free agents. But in Jamie's case, I don't know. It's not. I'm not saying he did get other offers. I'm almost sure he probably did. Somebody would have gave him twenty thousand dollars to come in at least, probably. But he probably looked at the landscape and said, "Oh, Philadelphia only has Jalen Hurts and Joe Placco. They need a third quarterback, even if it's going to be a, a a practice squad guy." So let me let me let me roll the dice. There didn't work out. My point is, Jody. It could be something as simple as I don't know falling asleep in a meeting, not paying attention. When you, when when you can literally cut a guy and there's nothing, nothing there. It's never a surprise when when you're talking about uh, a salary, even a hundred thousand, even somebody like Jack Stoll. You say, "Oh, I wish he would have worked out. I wish he would have stuck around at least on the practice squad." The Eagles have no reason to keep keep Jamie Newman around. I have no idea why he got in the doghouse, so to speak. No idea why he couldn't make it to to training camp with a team that needs it the bare minimum, uh, a camp arm. Must have done something, but um that my my larger point is there is an entire group of people absolutely stunned that the Eagles would move on from Jamie Newman. Because okay. why? Because they got the smoke blown up their ass for a uh, Three months. Well, then
3: guilty as charged because I did a little little of that. Because when I talk to guys like Rick Saratello, who was on with us earlier this week, and he tells me this kid is a talent that unfortunately we didn't get a chance to see him because he opted out, but uh he's got the skill set he could actually make it in the league. Oh, I'm gonna share that with Eagle fans here on Birds 365, and when he doesn't make it Through the OTAs, yeah, I got to say, sorry about that, guys. Now, uh, again, I understand the intricacies of no salary, no bonus, no reason to keep him if he's not holding up the expectations in these little camps that they're going to have. It tells you how bad he actually was. And, yeah, my reporting on it might not have been up to snuff either. But, uh, again, moving moving on, not, oh, my God, what the hell are the Eagles thinking? The, the, the sky is falling. You guys who said he could play, how dare you get our expectations? It's not that big a deal. No, if if so Jeff good. Newman goes somewhere else and becomes a quarterback, then you can get on the Eagles' case for having cut him and you can call yeah. back here on Birds 365, get on our stream and say, see, Jody Mack, you got off the bandwagon. We told you all along he was a great player. How bad did this kid have to be for the Eagles to be paying him nothing, no guarantees? And they only have three quarterbacks in camp. Three. That's it. Not four, not five. Because some teams have more. I think at one time the Texans had like, because they have this Deshaun Watson issue, had five guys under contract playing the quarterback position. Eagles only had three, and now they're down to two. So, you know, they're going to immediately start the search for guys to come in and be able to throw passes in preseason camp. You need guys who can just get you through the drills in camp. Don't know who that's going to be, but if Jeff Newman wasn't good
4: enough to stay here under those conditions, there's got to be something really wrong with him. Well, there's probably two different avenues. The negative one would be, I, I say this all the time, Jody, I say um, you can't make the team in the spring, but you can make sure you don't make the team in the spring. So that kind of defines Jamie Newman and where he ended up with the up Eagles. Now, how did he end up there? I find it very hard to believe in the actual drills that he was so bad uh, that they said, all right, we're going to move on. So I I tend to think it would probably be more the the other stuff, the meetings, listening to coaches, whatever, doing what you're supposed to be, being a good practice player, being a professional. A lot of guys struggle with that, especially early in their career. That's my guess, but that's just – Uh, speculation because you don't do much. You don't do enough in the spring to say, okay, this guy is just completely not ready to be an NFL quarterback. Or I will say door number three, maybe the Eagles have somebody already in mind that that's on the street. And they say, this guy's going to be a little bit better for us. Remember it's a third quarterback. It's not that important. More than um, more than anything, it's just going to be a camp arm. You probably want four quarterbacks to be honest. Um, to, to especially when you have Joe Flacco, by the way, as a, a veteran backup, he's 36 years old. You don't want Joe Flacco throwing 100 pitches, so to speak, in training camp in case you need him. You don't want that dead arm early in the season. You want to protect him. With Allen Hurts, obviously a young guy, it's not that big of a deal. But with Joe Flacco, it is a big deal. So, you know, it could be one of those three doors if you want to let's make a deal. But – I see this all the time in the NFL. We know because of the hype, Jody, uh, the hype around the draft and everybody gets played up, and I see it all the time, and even coaches are excited. I'm excited to look at, you know, this fourth-round pick, this fifth-round pick, and then they get to the camps, and they go, oh, oh, God, oh, God, this guy's not ready. We're going to have to go to a veteran, you know, get Howie on the phone. Please get me this. Please get me that. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. There's a couple guys I would like to ask some questions to, not that
3: they're available. But uh, Nick Sirianni made a big deal about the fact that, hey, with no combine, we did so much more homework with Zoom meetings with mm-hmm. these players. There's no time restriction. We can get a guy on a computer and we can talk to him for two hours. We can play 100 games of rock, paper, scissors, and I can really get to know that young man. Well, who the hell met with this kid, if you're right, that his issues aren't physical, aren't skill-related, that there's something above and beyond that?
4: eh, Shame on the Eagles for that one. And number two. It's not that big of a deal, though, Jody. It's, you know, you're talking about the 90th guy on the roster. You know, if you look at what happened yesterday, Khalil Tate got waived as well. So you're looking at Khalil Tate. Trevon Grimes had knee surgery, so he put him to the side. Uh, because he got injured, and they're probably going to work out an injury settlement. But Khalil Tate and and Jamie Newman, you're probably talking about the 89th and 90th guy on the roster. I mean, no, coaches aren't going to get in trouble. You take a flyer on a guy like that, you don't pay him one cent of guaranteed money. You say, oh, this kid's not going to work out. Let's turn the page. Let's move on.
3: All right, then the other guy I'd like to talk to is his agent. I'm assuming he has an agent. How do you not prepare your kid to go into a – uh, Jamie, I know you and I talked before the draft and we thought you might be a third round pick or a fourth round pick or a fifth round pick. And no one took you. We went to the NFL seven rounds. Nobody took you. And we decided to go to Philadelphia for no guaranteed signing bonus money. And then you go in there and you can't follow rules and regulations enough to be able to keep them,
4: have them keep you through camp. What the hell did you do, kid? That's well, and I again, had. that was just speculation. I'm not saying Jamie didn't follow rules Well, well, well come on. Johnny, you got to make a call here. It was no. either that
3: he acted well, like I said, an idiot or he can't play. Which one do you think it is? They no. Take a stance here, buddy.
4: Uh, well, I said door number three. They probably have another quarterback already on the line they're going to oh, really? bring in that they say that they like better than Jamie Newman. That's the third door. That's probably the most likely door. They just... They just rotate people three at the bottom of the roster and say, this guy can't play, this guy might be able to play, this guy can't play, and move on. You churn. Every team does it. That's my point about this whole thing. You have this social media uproar about Jamie Newman. He's the 90th guy on the freaking roster. It doesn't matter. That is my ultimate point.
3: All right. Then I'm ultimately going to ask you, any insights as to who the guy sitting out there on the scrap heap may Sean be Watson. that the Eagles <laughs> no. prefer to bring in here? No. That, well, that, think, that somewhere between 85 and 90th guy on the roster who cocks it back and throws it, that uh, the Eagles may be signing in the next 24, 48, 72 hours? Actually, they don't have to because we got four weeks before yeah, they you do got, anything.
4: you got a long time. Um. You mentioned Houston. You know, we all joke about Deshaun Watson, but they have 57 quarterbacks. Maybe they know they're going to release somebody. They're going to pick somebody up on waivers. So, you know, Howie's on the phone. There are guys you've never heard of uh, that they might bring in, the Ben Denucci's of the world, the KJ Costello's of the world that you see become third quarterbacks around the league. You know, it's going to be somebody like that. It's not going to be a splash. Uh, it's going to be... It's going to be a third or fourth quarterback that probably doesn't belong in the NFL. That's just the reality of it.
3: Uh, ben DiNucci and Eagle Green. That's what everybody wants. Well, no,
4: he's still on the Cowboys. Ben. Is he still on the him.
3: Cowboys, after that they didn't they didn't
4: release his, You know no, what? He's still there. There's no need to. I don't think. That's ridiculous.
3: All right. uh, It's the Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365. Let's bring another Eagle reporter into this conversation. Martin Frank from the Wilmington Journal News is going to join us. A little later, Russell Baxter, a good friend of mine, has been covering the National Football League for decades. As a matter of fact, Uh, he's going to hop aboard with us. So we got a lot yet to do right here on Birds 365. I get
5: scared
6: sometimes.
5: Of a lot of things There's Strong, and then there's Army Strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com.
3: Mac and Mac guys here on birch 365 on the Jake Media YouTube channel. I just had to look some up. Before we introduce one, Frank, uh, who was the Texans quarterback? I couldn't remember who it was. Because I knew they had to cut somebody when they added somebody. They added the immortal Jeff Driscoll, and they released the uh, completely unforgettable Ryan Finley. Is that your guy, Johnny Mag? Is that who the uh, Eagles are going to snap up now to be QB3?
4: Ryan Finley? Should sure, why a- not? Do why not? excited we- about that now? Who cares? I, you know, I would get excited. I think, and I have to look this up real quick. I think Nick Mullins is still a free agent. He would be the best one to me uh, on, but I have to check. Nobody signed him. it's a free agent. That would be the one guy I would say, "Ah, you know, that's a decent, uh, at least a guy who can play at a somewhat competent level. There's nobody out there at this point. You're looking at the KJ Costellos of the world. Maybe Martin Frank, maybe Joe Callahan. Maybe a Delaware guy from DelawareOnline.com. Martin Frank. How are you, Martin? Mm-hmm. I'm good. I'm good. You can never have enough quarterbacks from
8: Delaware. That's what I always say. So, <laughs> you yeah. uh, got Joe Flacco. Why not? Joe
4: Callahan, bring him in. Bring him in. South Jersey guy as well. Sure guy yeah. as well. So you mm-hmm. got a double dip. I don't know if Joe can play anymore, but um, he was here for a short period of time. All joking aside, though, Martin, mm-hmm. uh, were you at all surprised that the jamie Newman cut who shocked so many people that this came down when it did yeah yeah
8: i was i was very surprised i mean at the very least um you know every team usually brings like four or five even yeah. five quarterbacks into the training camp and you know you know like these guys the chances of them making the team are pretty much slim to none but like you have a camp arm that's what they're for like so your two main guys don't like throw their arms off, uh, during training camp. I mean, you know, you go back to Chip Kelly's year with, uh, Tim Tebow. He was like, I think they had five quarterbacks that year, or maybe it was, maybe it was well, four. Four with, because you really can't include Tebow. <laughs> yeah, right. Four plus Tebow. <laughs> I guess. But, you know, I mean, you need people to like throw the ball. I mean, that's, that's the purpose. You know, you got 90 guys in training camp. Um, you you got it you
4: you know you can't have your top two quarterbacks like throwing their arms out like especially when know. Joe's Joe's thirty six you can't That's have right? him throwing a hundred and fifty pitches every night out there in training camp it's a it's absurd so they're gonna bring in somebody and, yeah. and we all know probably,
8: that probably two, I would yeah. think right?
4: yeah I would think at least you know who who knows maybe Tyreek Jackson goes back to quarterback maybe, yeah right. Uh, Maybe Greg, Greg Ward. Ward goes back to quarterback. And they
3: cut Khalil Tate, who I thought they was actually a bad quarterback in Arizona. They cut him Whoa. the same day. They cut two quarterbacks yesterday. Yeah.
4: yeah. By the way, the Eagles had an opportunity, had an opportunity, and I think Nick Sirianni failed in a miserable way, to have the first five quarterback offense that could have put Blacko, Hurts, Tate, Ward, and Jackson out there at the same time. Yeah. Now that's innovative.
8: That's like taking the double reverse up to like the quintuple reverse. <laughs> <laughs>
4: uh, all right,
3: uh, Martin, John, and I have been discussing the fact that you got a chance to talk to a couple of the assistant defensive coaches yesterday and Jeff Stoutland, who kind of waited till everybody else had proceeded by and then hopped on late. Uh, did you learn anything from any of the defensive assistants yesterday? Was there any revelation, any? Between the lines, reading you could do as to what the Eagle defense is going to look like, as per uh, someone on the uh, assistant staff on the understaff of Mr. Gannon as the DC.
8: Not not especially, but but I was really intrigued by uh, linebacker's coach uh, Nick Rallis. I mean, here's a guy who's turning 28 years old next month. Um, you know, younger than a lot of the guys on the team and everything. I was kind of impressed by like you know, how he answered the questions about, you know, being so young. And, and I was really impressed by the fact, you know, he said, like, I'm going in there, I'm telling these guys, I don't know all the answers. I want to hear from you guys. And it was kind of interesting because Tracy Rocker, the defensive line coach, who's, you know, double his age, he's 55 – was pretty much saying the same thing, you know, like I go in there with an open mind and, and I tell these guys, like, I don't have all the answers, you know, what do you guys think? And and everything like that, because I mean, he's got two veterans uh, on the defensive line in, in Fletcher Cox and, and Brandon Graham. So it just seems like from, from a lot of these coaches, like it's kind of like a give and take with the players. And, and I think that can be a good thing because, you know, you don't want to go in there and say it's my way or the highway. I mean, you know, you look at the Chip Kelly era, you know, he kind of went in there and said, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have the fast paced offense and we're going to do this. And these are the players we're going to get. And I think like, you know, you can kind of tell from Nick Sirianni and his assistants that they're coming in and they're, they're having like an open mind. They're, they're evaluating the players and they're going to play to their strengths and everything. And, and I think the assistant coaches, that we've talked to the last few days kind of reflect that strategy. So, you know, I was, I was kind of impressed by that. I mean, you, you're you not going to learn a whole lot about strategy and everything like that. I mean, you know, they were pretty vanilla when it came to those answers, you know, giving you the certain platitudes. Yeah, we're going to attack, but we're also going to be smart and, you know, <laughs> play back when, when needed and stuff like that. So, you know, it's more like getting a sense of who these guys are. And, and I was kind of yeah. impressed by that. You know, we found out that, you know, they're willing to listen to them players and, and adapt things based on strategy and
4: everything like that. I'm still waiting for, by the way, Martin, the first defensive coach in history to go, no, I'm going to lay back. I, I don't like aggression. I'm just going to sit back and let yeah. everything come to me. I'm still waiting they, for that guy.
8: Gonna, we're all going to run to the football.
4: <laughs> yeah, all going to run to the football, going to hustle, high motor. We heard high motor. We got a high motor. I yeah. do want to play devil advocate with that dichotomy because you're right both guys said the same thing the 28 year old coach soon to be 28 year old coach and and the 50 mid 50s coach now Tracy Rocker has got Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham so he can say yeah listen to these guys I'm not sure Nick Rollis can do that with Davion Taylor and Sean Bradley he's got to say hey guys this is what we got to get accomplished so there's, There's got to be a little bit of some heavy-handedness. Do you think uh, a 28-year-old kid essentially can do that?
8: I mean, I guess. I mean, that's, I mean, I assume that's why he's there. I mean, I can't, you know, I mean, here's a guy who doesn't really have a whole lot of experience. I mean, he's going to have to in, in some respect, but he's also got guys like Eric Wilson to lean on. I mean, Eric Wilson goes back to, you know, Jonathan Gannon, Mike Zimmer in Minnesota and everything like that. So, you know, there's still a veteran presence there to kind of say, you know, to kind of help him get that message across to guys like Davion Taylor and Sean Bradley. Um, so, I mean, I think I think there can be that kind of give and take, and I think it can also be, it's going to be tough for someone like Rallis to, uh, I mean, obviously when you're 28 years old, it's not going to be the easiest thing to just say, all right, you know, to put his foot down and say, this is how we're doing it. But, you know, at the same time, you, you got to lean on your veterans. I mean, it's the same thing with Rocker. I mean, if, if Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox don't like what Rocker's saying, you know, they're established veterans and they have more pull, you know what I mean? Like, you know, a lot of these guys, veterans on the team can get a coach fired and stuff. So, you know, it, it kind of applies to, to Rocker as well as it does to Nick Rallis. Martin, are you are li- of a like mind like my partner, since
3: Jonathan Gannon has done a nice job at not giving away what his system is going to look like. As a matter of fact, he's gone to better links, longer links, to say, well, we're going to adapt to the situation rather than me trying to force feed my philosophy in the way I do things into a given game or situation. We're gonna be a uh, smart enough to react and know what kind of a situation we're in to determine what we're gonna do. Kind of guy, mm-hmm. uh, are you best served just to watch what Mike Zimmer has done these last couple of years? That this is going to be a Zimmerish—I love when I can make up words—a Zimmerish <laughs> yeah. type system that the Eagles will be running here in Philadelphia.
8: Yeah, I mean, you know, like. Uh- I guess these guys are going to take from everybody. I mean, Zimmer obviously is a big influence on, on Gannon and stuff, but, you know, there's also other guys have, have backgrounds from other areas and stuff. And I'd like to think they'd all kind of like say, well, you know, we tried this at this place. It didn't really work. So let's see if this works. You know, I'd like to think it's kind of like a give and take among all the coaches where they sit around and they and they go over, you know, things that, that they kind of learn from their previous stops and everything, and and kind of put it all put it all together and see what they have with the players and and find out what works best. I mean, you know, you, you can't just say, well, you know, Jonathan Gannon, you know, has a Mike big Mike Zimmer influence, so it's going to reflect a lot of what the Vikings do because you know the Eagles don't have the same players as the Vikings do. Although, you know, then again, they do have like five former Vikings on defense, so you never know. <laughs> <laughs> But still, you know, it's, it's something where, you know, yeah, there'll be some Mike Zimmer type of elements to it, but I think there'll also be some others, you know, from like Tracy Rocker has been around for a while. A guy like Denard Wilson, you know, came from the jets and everything like that. So, you know, he's got some things there. Um, You know, he had Jamal Adams when he was with the jets. So he's had some, you know, top players and everything like that. So, you know, they got to find stuff that works. I mean, maybe take a little bit from here, a little bit from there and, Put it all together and you have the Eagles defense. And one day, like an assistant coach who came from Jonathan Gannon's tree, will say, yeah, they're going to run like a Jonathan Gannon type of defense. I don't know. I mean, it just seems like it's going to be a little bit of
4: everything. Well, one thing they're going to have to figure out, whatever type of defense they are going to run, Martin, is a second outside corner opposite Darius Slayk. Now, poor Gennard Wilson was out there yesterday saying, oh, no, everybody's great. You see technique, fundamentals. No, you don't need length to play outside. We can throw the 5'9", Avante Maddox, Josiah Scott out there. Look, now they have two open roster spots because of what they did yesterday. One of them's got to be a cornerback. When does this happen, Martin? There's got to be a cornerback. I
8: totally agree. I think the starting outside cornerback is not on the roster yet. Um, and, you know, I mean, you go back to 2017, like Howie Roseman, I think it was August 10th, maybe, you know, traded for Ronald Darby and sure enough, there he is starting. I mean, yeah, he got hurt and stuff, but, um, but yeah, I think there are guys out there that they can sign and everything. And they just have to free up the money. And, you know, obviously a lot of that has to do with, You know when they move on from Zach Ertz, but I think you know once they sign a cornerback or trade for a cornerback, then there's a good chance that person will be the starter out opposite Darius Slay. Speaking of Zach Ertz, he's still here. (laughs) We keep wait. That is going to happen
3: this week. We've had a couple of media members say uh, previous to this, like months to this, will be the time that Zach Ertz and the Eagles have their separation. Yet he's still here. And if you're suggesting, and you might be right, that uh, cap concerns and uh, freeing up cap money when Zach Ertz moves on will allow the Eagles to get that cornerback guy, well, then if one is holding up the other, which one is Howie Roseman making a mistake with? Uh, If he can't pull the trigger on Zach Ertz, is that keeping him from signing the quarterback that this team desperately needs? Uh, What is Howie's line of thinking right now with Zach Ertz, as far
8: as you can ascertain, I think now it's more of a stalemate. Like maybe Howie's kind of like dug in his heels and said, "You know, I'm going to trade him. I'm going to get something. I'm going to hold out until I get the trade that I want." And, and it's kind of like a game of chicken, but right, right now. I mean, at some point, you know, you want to have somebody in here for training camp, like you know, whatever cornerback it is or whatever you want them in in time for training camp, which for the Eagles is July 27th. So there's still some time and everything, but, you know, at some point you just got to like bite the bullet and say like, nobody's going to want to trade for Zach Ertz and his contract at this point when they know the Eagles have to release him and stuff. So, you know, just wait it out for now. But I mean, I think this all should have been resolved months ago personally, but uh, anyway, You know, the fact that Zach Ertz is still here, I mean, you know, how he's going to hold out as long as he can. And, you know, I'm sure he's got someone in mind that he wants to sign and just has to free up the money. And, you know, if he can get something in return for Zach Ertz, he'll do it. And if not, you know, eventually he'll just bite the bullet, you know, release Zach Ertz and, and use that money and sign a
4: cornerback. You know, it's interesting, a lot of times position coaches, Martin, are put in the middle because they don't have any power, really, when it comes to uh, player procurement or players being on the roster, players being cut. You know, Jason Michaels in that category, he's the New Eagles tight end coach, and he mentioned on, what day are we, Thursday, so he talked on Tuesday about – uh, keeping the lines of communication at least open with Zach Ertz. I did find it interesting that he's talked to him a few times in case July 27th shows up and, hey, Zach Ertz got to show up. He's under contract unless he's going to get some significant fines. Right. How, how how bad would that be for a first-year coaching staff to have a guy, a veteran guy who means so much to this organization so unhappy, Do you think that's unfair to put Nick Sirianni, Jason Michael, and company under that sort of cloud? Yeah, and
8: and I think that's exactly why Zach Ertz will not be on the team, you know, this year. I mean, I, I don't think there's any way he can come back. I mean, I'm sure, like, you know, guys like Sirianni and Jason Michael, like, are taking the job knowing that Zach Ertz will not be the the starting tight end and it's going to be Dallas Goddard I think in their minds they've already moved on I mean they already know what they have or the guys that they have and and they're trying to work with that I mean I don't think I don't think they're going into it with an idea like are we going to have Zach Ertz or are we not going to have Zach Ertz I think they pretty much know that they're not and and they're planning accordingly but yes you have to you know you have to keep in touch with him you have to like see if you know, you have to make the effort to say, hey, Zach, you're still on the roster. You know, this is kind of like what we're doing and everything like that, just in case. But I mean, I really think, you know, they're not really worrying about it as much. I think they already know that at some point, Zach Ertz is going to move on and, and you know, Dallas Goddard's going to be the top tight end. And, you know, they'll probably go more 11 personnel with, you know, three wide receivers, which I think is what they wanted to do for last couple of years anyway, but they just couldn't because they didn't have the talents and all those guys were getting hurt anyway. So, you know, I think, I think they moved on in their minds. So I don't think it'll be that much of an issue.
3: Martin, let me ask you about a uh, coach that you guys talked to a couple of days ago, not yesterday on the offensive side, Jamal Singleton. The last mm-hmm. couple of years here, we found out that Deuce Staley had a big say in what running backs were on the field on a given play, that he was the guy who decided who would be out there and then Doug would coordinate that with his play call by seeing who was out there and the like. Is Jamal Singleton going to be that same kind of coach? Is he going to decide on a down-end, 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 down-out basis who is on the field as far as running back goes? I, I know we don't know it. Mm-hmm. we've got to judge once they get underway, but uh, you try and figure it out ahead of time. Uh, what is the relationship between Nick Sirianni and Jamal Singleton's handling of the running backs going to be like?
8: Yeah, it's very possible. I mean, you go back even to Chip Kelly. I remember he used to, when we'd ask him about the running back rotation with uh, DeMarco Murray and Ma- Ryan Matthews, Chip would say, I have no idea. Deuce is the one who bringing them in and out and stuff. So, um, I mean, it, it seems like that would be the case. I mean, they gave, Jamal Singleton, you know, the same title that Deuce had, not only running backs coach, but, like, assistant head coach or something like that. So, I mean, it's very possible. And, you know, I think there's a parameter there where, like, Miles Sanders has to be the guy, you know, on first and second down. Maybe you take him out, you know, to give him a a break for a series and stuff like that. But I I think you have to go in with the parameter that um, Miles Sanders is going to be the main running back, and then you rotate in the other guys, you know, maybe on a third down maybe you put it in like Boston Scott if, if Sanders needs a break or something like that. But I mean, I think that's basically how it's going to work. You know, that, that, um, that Sanders is going to be, be the main guy and the other guys will work in here and there. And it'll probably be up to Singleton to decide when that is and who that is. I mean, it could be Kenny Gainwell, you know, it could be a guy like on Johnson, you know, if Jordan Howard still on the team, maybe him every now and then, but yeah, I think Singleton will, Most of you calling the shots, but with the parameter that Sanders gets the ball for the carries.
4: But, uh, you know, Jamal, to me, was the most impressive coach uh, that we talked to. At least if I were doing assistant coach power rankings, Martin, I would have Jamal number first. So did he impress you, number one, as much as he impressed me? And then secondly, he said something interesting about the running back position in that, you, you need the three traits. You need the guy who can run the football first or second yeah. down. That's obviously going to be miles. You need somebody to pass, protect. Uh, you need somebody to catch the football, be able to split out wide. And he says, you need those tree, three traits. It depends how many players you can get those three traits out of. Could be one, could be two, could be three. But then you're right. Every coach we talk to, going back to Chip, Doug, and we'll see with Nick Sirianni. They say, "Oh, I don't know who's out there. I'm just calling the plays." Well, would you want to know what trait you have out there? uh I, It doesn't make a lot of sense to me.
8: Yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I always thought like that was Chip's way of deflecting, like you wow, know, don't yeah, me. Yeah. you know, he was a different different breed. Um, yeah, it, it's I was I was impressed by uh Jamal Singleton. I mean. And it seems like they have the players to fit that mold. I mean, you talk about the first and second down guy, that's obviously Miles Sanders. You talk about the guy who could pass protect and that's carry on Johnson. And then you got a guy like Kenny Gainwell who can, you know, be your third down receiver out of the backfield and everything like that. So I, I think it's just a matter of like finding ways. So I think like, obviously, and then Nick Sirianni would obviously have plays in mind for all those situations. So, yeah, if it's third down and, and Kenny Gainwell's in, you're going to, you know, third and seven, Kenny Gainwell's in, you're probably going to call a passing play. um And, and you know, you'll have Gainwell as a receiver. So then when you say, how come how come uh, Jordan Howard was in on that play, then <laughs> Sirianni could say, well, you know, I just called the plays. I didn't know it was out
0: there. But I mean, that would be
8: ridiculous, obviously. So, you know, I, I think it was, goes back to Doug, too. Like, Sure, you know that um, Aaron Sproles would be in there on the third down well, when he was healthy and stuff like that. So I don't know. I, it's It seems like, you know, they have the players that Singleton would want to be coaching in, in all those situations, I guess is what I would say.
3: We're done with the OTAs. Now we've got the wait until camp. One year ago today, it was all Carson Wentz's world, and we got to live in it. My how things can change in a year. Uh, so now it is Jalen Hurts' world, except if yes, Joe Flacco, who thinks he can actually compete for the starting quarterback position. Well uh, we'll assume that Jalen Hurts is gonna be the starting quarterback. I think a pretty safe assumption. Um he's building relationships between himself and the coaching staff, himself and the players. No, you don't have the hands-on accessibility that you usually would at this time of the year, but just judging by when you do get to hear from someone around the uh, players and around the quote unquote gatherings that they're having. Is Jalen Hurts in a good position with the people he needs to be in a good position with?
8: Oh, I think he's in a great position. I mean, that was kind of like the one thing that struck me from, you know, all the players we talked to, and we probably talked to like on offense anyway, like, you know, a dozen or so. I mean, they were all struck by like Jalen Hurts's leadership, his work ethic, and everything. I mean, yeah, you're going to say that about the quarterback, and, and but I never remembered anybody saying it to that extent about Carson Wentz in the past. Um, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I, I always kind of got the sense that everyone is, like, really, really impressed with Jalen Hurts, just in his work ethic, just in his leadership, the way he, like, you know, he's 22 years old and you know, he, he has a presence about him and I I never really got the sense that much that people felt that way about Wentz. Yeah. There were a few, like, you know, the Zach Ertz's of the world and stuff like that, but um, it wasn't as widespread. And like, I think even a few defensive players, John, like I remember Javon Hargrave was saying, he's a natural born leader. I mean, he even made an impression on, on defensive guys. And I think that's, you know, really testament to Jalen Hurts' character and everything like that. And I think it's also, you know, an obvious sign that, you know, they plan to go forward with Jalen Hurts at least for this year and then, you know, see what happens. But still, uh, I've been impressed by, like, how, how the team has reacted to him so far. Definitely. Yeah.
4: Yeah, definitely a natural leader. Guys kind of gravitate towards him. I want to talk about the other leader, Martin, and read Martin at com. we got to get that plug in. But – um, Martin Nick Siriani, you know, I talk about this all the time. If you look at it locally, Doug Peterson, first time head coach, had Jim Swartz. Um, nope. you look around the league, Sean McVay originally was given Weed Phillips, uh, Matt Nagy was given Vic Bangio, uh, Matt LaFleur was given Mike Pettin, who was a former head coach, you know. The one thing about talking to assistant coaches, and I want to see if you picked up on this as well. Nobody's talked about Kevin Petulo. Kevin was <laughs> talking about when Nick was doing other stuff, he was sort of the guy he was leaning on. He, he 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 had mentioned Nick told him to call this guy. We got to set up this interview. We got to look at the facility, what we're going to change. Not a lot of people know Kevin Petulo, He's the passing game coordinator do you think it's a mistake that the Eagles didn't bring in a more veteran presence that just, this is a tough job, man. There's no experience to do this job until you actually do the job. So to have that ex-head coach to be a sounding board, that seems to be a theme. Eagles haven't done that. Are you concerned about that?
8: I am. Uh, and I'm actually also surprised. I mean, you know, that was like, I remember when Doug Peterson got the job that very same day, they announced Jim Schwartz as a defensive coordinator. I mean, you know, Schwartz had been a head coach. He's, you know, older veteran presence, everything like that. And I was really surprised. I mean, the Eagles have the youngest coaching staff in the NFL. And, and you know, the players have talked all talked about like, how high energy they are and everything. And that's all well and good, but like, eventually that wears off, you know, like, you know, veteran guys like Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks, Jason Kelsey, you know, Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, they can see right through that if if it's not in fact genuine. And, you know, when it comes to push comes to shove, I mean, the players went out on stuff like that, you know, if they have issues with the coaching staff, you know, the players are going to say like, listen, this isn't working. You need to make a change. And you know Howie's loyal to a lot of those guys too. So he'll listen. Um, So, you know, if, if that kind of stuff, you know, they could have all the energy in the world and stuff, but if they're not, you know, if they're not, if they show that they're overwhelmed, if they show that they can't handle it, if they're being out coached, I mean, that stuff, that energy won't matter. Um, The players will definitely dictate whether or not those guys do the job and and you know if they can then great you know the eagles have great young coaches who you know you would think if the eagles do well those assistants will get head coaching jobs elsewhere and stuff like that which is all feathers nick sirianni's cap and the eagles cap but you know if it doesn't work i mean the players will get onto that pretty quickly and you know guys like i said that have that presence that a lot of the veterans on the eagles do i mean that's gonna that's gonna resonate with Howie Roseman and stuff. I mean, you know, it better work. I guess is what I'm saying because, like you said, you know, they didn't hire that veteran presence on the coaching staff to, um, you know, keep things in line and stuff like that. So I was I was surprised by that. So you know, they're taking a big risk, and and you know, for Nick Sirianni's case, it better it better work out because he won't have very long if it doesn't. Martin, let me bring back onto the field for my last question. Uh, See if you are of the same
3: mindset as me and my partner. The Eagles might actually be able to win more games than some of the national prognosticators who have them as the 28th best team, the 27th, maybe the 26th best team in the NFL as of right now. They might be able to surpass that if their offensive line is good. And when you say their offensive line is good, that means their offensive line is healthy. We know how much Brandon Brooks lit missed last year. We know how much Lane Johnson missed last year. Both took part in activities in their gatherings this spring. And from what I'm told, what we've been able to see, both of them looked okay. Give me your read on the Eagles' offensive line. How much of a strength can it be in 2021?
8: Uh, I think it'll have to be a major strength. And I, and I think what a lot of people are also overlooking is is Landon Dickerson. I mean – If any one of those three inside guys, I'm talking about Kelsey Brooks or, or Isaac Siamalo get hurt. I mean, you've got a guy who assuming that he's healthy when the season starts is probably going to be like a cornerstone interior offensive lineman for the next decade. So, you know, I think the Eagles actually did a really good job this year bolstering their offensive line, not only getting the guys back who are hurt, but adding a guy like Landon Dickerson and even signing a guy like LaRaven Clark as kind of like a swing, big V type of role, like he can back up either the left tackle or the right tackle. And and the only real question on the offensive line is going to be the left tackle. I mean, you have that battle between Andre Dillard and Jordan Maylata who are both you know, relatively unproven compared to what they've had for the last decade or so in Jason Peters. I mean, the good Jason Peters, not the last year's version. <laughs> but, um, you know, you four of the five spots are, are among the best, like, offensive linemen in the league. And, well, three of the five, definitely. And, and Isaac is obviously better than average. So, um You know, the offensive line will be a strength. And Jalen Hurts can, like, improvise a lot more than Carson Wentz did. So, like, even if it breaks down, you know, Hurts can probably run, you know, gain a lot of yards running and stuff, which will make him even better. So I think the Eagles can be better. I mean, I'm not saying they're winning the Super Bowl or even making the playoffs. But I don't think – I think they're better than a four- or five-win team, which is what I saw a lot of the national prognosticators you know, saying them I think they can win seven games, maybe if things break right, eight games. I mean, they also have like an easier schedule, you know, the last place schedule and everything like that. So I think they'll they'll be better than a lot of people think, but uh, they're not winning the Super Bowl anyway. But they the offensive line will definitely be the key for that to happen. I mean, you know, you can't go through a season like they did last year and expect to be pretty good. I mean, four of their five – starting offensive linemen missed at least seven games. You know, a couple of those guys missed the entire season. Yeah. I mean, there's no way to recover from that. And this year, the, all those guys are back, and they're even deeper than they were last year. So I think that's a
4: good sign that
8: they're going to be better than a lot of people think.
4: Yeah, the number 6.5 in Vegas, Martin. So that's kind of where I am. I'm like, I think they're going to be a little bit better than that. Not great by yeah. any stretch of the imagination, he got add in the 17th game as well. So 8-9 right. and nine is where Jody and I both had him at, which yeah. is so meaningful on June – what are we, June whatever, June 10th. But uh, obviously it doesn't mean anything. But I look at that offensive line and I say, we had we had uh, um, Ross Tucker on. He said, that's top 10 all day if those yeah. guys are healthy. But that's a big hit. But, you know, mm-hmm. Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson – that's a big hit. If that offensive line is out there, and Jeff Stoutland was pretty confident yesterday uh, about how good those guys are and about his yeah. ability to get Mylotta or Dillard up to speed. So last one, who's going to win it? Mylotta versus Dillard. It's like Floyd Mayweather versus Logan Paul. Who's going to oh. win
8: it? <laughs> I, I think it's Andre Dillard. I personally think it's Andre Dillard. Yeah. All right. So yeah. do I. I, I you know, he's the first round pick. They're gonna give him every opportunity. I mean, you know, Maylada's good. He's he's also inexperienced. I mean, he's had you know, you look at last year, he had some pretty bad games. He had some great games too, yeah. but some pretty bad ones. Yeah. He's kind of still up and down. I think Dillard, you might not be as good as Melada is when he's at his best, but I think he's he's more consistent or so far. I mean, I guess we don't know exactly, but I think that's the potential. And uh, I think it's his job to lose. But getting back to what you were saying about the Eagles season, I mean, you also have to look at the opening game against the Falcons, who all of a sudden don't have Julio Jones anymore. So, you know, maybe that's a game they can win too, and therefore they might be even better than people think. Start the season
3: off right with a W. We started our day off right by bringing in Martin Frank, for you non-Delawarians, read him online at the Wilmington News Journal. Martin, always a pleasure, bud. Appreciate it. Don't know how you're gonna get along without seeing John's smiling face for a month. But
4: something <laughs> yeah. tells me. He'll be thrilled. He sits next to me in the media house, so he'll be thrilled. Yeah. When the media John, house is open. Can't wait. Uh, it, it is closed for a month, and you
3: guys enjoy yeah. your downtime, except for us here on Birds 365. We'll tap into you again soon enough, Martin. Thanks for hopping on with us. He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. We are your Bridge 6365 guys. We've still got an hour left to go. Stay with us here.
0: I get scared sometimes of a
5: lot of things.
6: Joining in,
5: decisions,
6: the dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say,
0: but as I always say,
5: It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com.
3: John McMullen and Jody McDonald here with you on Birds 365. We have got an hour left to play. Uh, Thanks for hopping on to the stream with us. Thanks to Martin and Frank for hopping on with us as well. And right now I feel bad because I should have asked this question.
7: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
3: To Martin Frank. I teased it yesterday when we wrapped up Birds 365. In order to get Martin's thought on this, so I'm going to get Johnny Max here now. Um, the NFL came out with a stance this week, moved mostly by the Players Union, but also signed off on by the NFL, at least in part. Uh, that they would like to see a reduction in the use of Toradol, the medication, the pain medication, that a lot of NFL players and teams use, that uh, there are reports coming out now, that the after effects of it are not good. It's not really an opiate, but it is a pain medication and has potential uh, long-lasting effects down the road for players. So uh, something's got to fill the void. If you're going to subtract a pain medication Something has to come in as the new pain medication. And again, research being done by the Players Association and signed off on by the NFL says that marijuana may be the new Toradol in the National Football League. That if the players need something to be able to put up with the beatings that they put their bodies through, maybe marijuana is the way to go because it is becoming a legalized substance in a lot of uh, states in this country, some of which the NFL have teams in, some of which they don't have teams in. John, could we be looking at reefer madness in the National Football League?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think like the rest of society, we're heading down that road. yeah, uh, you know, I, I think this is a little bit disingenuous from both sides, by the way. I I mean, look, I always say, smoke what I don't give a crap if you want to smoke weed or not personally, but I I do know when you know I've had six knee operations, for instance. I do know when you're looking Take, for pain. Wait, wait, wait! He's trying to sneak that one in there, honest.
3: Six knee operations.
4: Six, six in county. I'm done though. I'm not. I'm not getting any more. But well, anyway,
3: how, how the hell did you hurt your knee that bad?
4: Well, I, I I heard it when I was young, and it just came from there. Didn't have the greatest first surgery. You know, I'm old, so it was you know, they had to cut me open. It wasn't the arthroscopic days. So anyway, but larger point being Jody, i have never met anybody coming out of surgery that says, Hey, you know, don't give me the good stuff, give me the weed. Um, I, I do think from the players' perspective, I've always said it's more about the partying than the pain. They want to be able to smoke it because they want to be able to smoke it. And by the way, I think they should be able to smoke it, but it's not getting them through games that they have serious injuries and and they want to uh, try to fight through it. It's just not. I I mean, so that's where the disingenuous part comes in. I don't think it should be a big deal. The NFL has already kind of acquiesced in the fact that the penalties really don't exist anymore. So you can smoke weed. You're not going to see any more suspensions if you're a, a habitual user Um, and you really have a problem with it, Uh, you might have some issues on your 10th failure. Uh, Who knows how how deep it gets into. So they've already made that ship. But when people start talking about replacing Toradol or, or something like that nature, and by the way, they'd rather have something stronger than Toradol. They already locked it, you know, because there are side effects to using serious drugs and trying to get through games. So the bigger issue to me is the NFL, NFL football as a whole. It's a dangerous sport. You're going to get hurt playing it, Jody. And if you think weed is going to get you through serious injuries, good luck, man. I enjoy it. Good luck. Uh, he, here's where this
3: cynic will go with the entire line of thinking. And again, you're you're getting varying opinions from the players union and the NFL itself and they trying to do its best. Each is trying to do its best for themselves, but they should have a a common goal uh, in this entire debate. If Toradol is something that the league wants to move away from because it's getting really bad press right now. And players are saying after the fact, years after they've left the national football league, they're now suffering because they used Toradol as much as they did when they were playing. Well, something's got to replace it. And yes, marijuana has become almost acceptable in this country that it isn't something that is going to have as long ranging effects because you're right. Something else is if Toradol is out, something's got to replace it. And the most likely thing that's going to replace it is some kind of opiate. And we have a big enough problem with opiates in that country. The NFL, the players don't go, yeah, we're going to use more opiates. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to go down that road but you got to give them something. So yeah, you know, marijuana, everyone feels that much better after they smoke marijuana. Let's, let's go there as our replacement for Toradol. I think it's kind of a look over here while we're actually doing business over here uh, situation with the fact that I would not be yeah, surprised if I, opiate use was up. In no, the NFL. Well, uh,
4: I guess my, I should have explained it better. My, my argument is from an efficacy standpoint like marijuana is not going to replace toradol or any opiate from an efficacy standpoint. Will it make people feel a little bit better? Sure, uh, on the short term, but it's not nearly as effective. So my bigger point is let them let them have their marijuana, but it should be a different conversation. The conversation about getting through a game or fighting through pain you either have something that allows you to do that that's safe and effective or you don't and the bigger question is okay <clears throat> excuse me if we can't use toradol or we have no replacement from an efficacy standpoint then just don't play that that's that's the road you got to go down because marijuana is not going to get players back on the field that's the disingenuous point to me and and people are fighting a different fight The players union is fighting the fight because they want the players to have the ability to use marijuana uh, whenever they want without consequence, which they pretty much have already anyway. I'm okay with that. I'll stipulate that. It's not going to help them get through a football game is my my larger point.
3: And it, I I know that it's not uh, X's and O's football talk. But it is a pretty important thing in the National Football League. It's something that a guy like yourself, an outstanding reporter, is going to come across. Guys are going to talk to you when they're dealing with injury. Shoot, when I just asked Martin Frank, how good is the Eagle offensive line going to be this upcoming year? Could that be the key to the team actually trying to hang in at around a 500 record? Well, what what is Lane Johnson's health like? What is uh, Brooks's health like? What is Isaac Zaymala's health like? We don't know any of the answers to those questions. We'll get them as the season progresses. And At any given time, any of them could go down again. But there's more to it than that when we need to talk about injuries. And yeah, how the NFL uh, allows their players to use medications to try and fight through to be able to play in pain. Sometimes you t- tear an ACL. Guess what? You're out. There's no question about that, but there are a lot of injuries, a lot of body aches that players do attempt to play to. I think Lane Johnson's one of the toughest guys in the National Football League, and on a week in, week out basis, he's playing with some kind of pain, and he gives it his best shot. Well, there are things that are going to help Lane Johnson get through game to game, season to season, and uh, I think that well, fans I want
4: to know. Lane would be a perfect example because he had a significant injury, you know. Uh, maybe an edible or two would have helped him uh, get through the day, uh, feeling a little bit more comfortable. Uh, wasn't getting through a game without shots at halftime. Wasn't getting through a game <laughs> with a couple edibles. That's what I'm talking about, Jody. And and you know, I won for my national column. I actually did a column years ago. I I did a column. It was titled it, "It's About the Party, Not the Pain." And I'm fine with that. Guys want to smoke it. Guys want to be able to use it. I'm fine, hundred percent. But it's not about the pain. It isn't. It isn't. It's not effective. It's not effective in a football sense. In a football sense, where you got to go out there on a torn ligament in your ankle, like Jane Lane Johnson, it's not gonna. It's not gonna get you on the field. So that, to me, is a different discussion. In case you're just tuning in here to Birds
3: 365, Johnny and I, in the first hour today, we're talking about the QB3 position with the Philadelphia Eagles, where they released Jamie Newman yesterday. Uh, Guilty as charged, I was one of those guys who uh, talked to enough people leading up to the draft that he was. Shoot, I asked many guys, Rick Sartell, the other draft guys, I had on either my national radio show or here with Johnny Mack, who's the quarterback the Eagles could draft Day three, that they still think of themselves as a quarterback factory, that uh, they'll get someone and believe they can mold them into a quarterback, maybe even turn around and trade him for a draft pick later on. We've seen enough of that with this organization over the years. They've actually done a pretty good job at it, uh, taking a undrafted and or low round draft pick and then being able to trade him for a higher position. So who is that guy? And almost every individual always said, well, Jamie Newman. Here's a guy who's got talent and skills and he was going to transfer to Georgia. It was unfortunate we didn't get a chance to see him this year. Well, he opted out. It was his choice. And I think uh, he had things to deal with and issues. I, you can't judge the young man for making the decision. But as we sit here now, I think you can say it probably hurt his position in the whole draft process when he decided to do that. But that's water under the bridge right now. Uh, the Eagles not only didn't draft him. They signed him as a free agent after the draft, and we found out that they didn't even have to give him any guaranteed money to come in here and put his name on a Philadelphia Eagle contract, and I thought it was a heck of a maneuver by the Eagles. Well, after a couple of off-season gatherings, we found out that Jamie Newman is no longer a Philadelphia Eagle, but they flat out cut him yesterday, which, yes, came as a surprise to me. Am I shedding tears about it? No. Do I think, Oh my God, he's going to be a starting quarterback for a decade in this league for someone else. No, I don't think that's the case either, but I got to admit that legitimately I was surprised by it uh, and a little disappointed, probably more disappointed in the player uh, that he either came to camp unprepared or isn't up to snuff uh, talent wise to be able to be kept around. they, Uh, Unless they're desperate for a roster spot, getting down to just two healthy quarterbacks doesn't seem to be like the way you would go just because you're desperate to clear a roster spot, yeah, we can afford to cut another quarterback. And I know, five weeks of doing nothing until camp starts. So John and I were throwing around a little speculation as to who could be uh, QB three as of right now, who would be the third string quarterback because they got to add somebody, if not two people by the time camp rolls around, because there are a lot of passing drills that have to be run. Um, I got to give credit to uh, the stream here who put a name on us, uh name out there for us that it completely slipped my mind. And he's not eligible to become an Eagle because he's still on another team's roster, but At some point, he could become available. Might not be before the Eagles actually get to camp, and that's when they're going to need him. But the unstoppable Nate Sudfeld right now in San Francisco is QB4. Uh, They have uh, their starter, Jimmy Garoppolo. They have Trey Lancer. They used the third pick on the draft time. They have Josh Rosen. Talk about overrated. Uh, Drafted at number 10 just a couple of years ago. He's had a couple of chances has, in my mind, proven that he can't play in the league. But for some reason, San Francisco is the latest one to say, yeah, yeah, come on in the camp, impress us. And Nate Sajfalt. So they've got two backup quarterbacks who've actually started games in the National Football League, which is a pretty good position to be if you're in San Francisco. Does the owner, Jeff Glory, use his influence here and tell Howie Roseman, can we use a conditional seventh-round pick <laughs> to trade to the 49ers
4: to get the yeah, unstoppable Nate back. Look. You just let the unstoppable one go, and then you got to send a draft pick to get him back. How bad would that be? I'm mm. surprised we haven't gotten to Nick Bowles people yet, to be honest. Are they opening a spot for Nick Bowles? You know, I said Nick, and by the way, Nick Mullins, I, number one, I can't believe he hasn't signed anywhere. I had to double check again. A guy started 16 games. You talk about X 49 ers quarterbacks, but I think he would be too much money. He's probably holding out for a decent contract, probably waiting for an injury. But he would be the one guy who's actually on the market that I would say, yeah, he might be better than Joe Blacko, to be honest, as a backup quarterback. Um, You know, not from an accomplishment standpoint, but from a youth standpoint and from an athleticism standpoint and things he's able to do. Uh, So I don't think he's viable, but um, look, they're going to bring somebody in. You just mentioned the 49ers have four quarterbacks. You need, you need, we talked about the pitch count. You need to to keep the pitch count under control for various quarterbacks. And certainly Joe Blacko and even Jalen Hurts, even though he's young and can probably handle it. Um, So they got to bring somebody in. It's just a matter of who Uh, getting back to Jamie Newman. Yeah. I mean, it's the nature of the beast, Jody. Look, we have this cottage industry of draft prep. We all fall. I fall into it, too. We think all these guys are great. And I say it all the time because I go through the whole cycle. And then you get the camp. Forget about an undrafted kid. I mean, let's use Kayvon Wallace last year. I mean, everybody's like, oh, Clemson kid. He was so good at Clemson. He's going to come in here. He's going to be so impactful for the Philadelphia Eagles. Probably is two or three years down the line. Barely played last year. You're hearing the same thing with a fourth-round pick this year, Zach McPherson. Oh, he's got to get on the field. Does he? That I don't think you want Zach McPherson on the field. You go look at the cornerbacks in the first round of the 2020 NFL draft, Jody. It ain't pretty. It is not pretty. First-round picks trying to play that position – at the pro level early in their careers. So to expect a fourth rounder to go out there and deal with NFL receivers and these offenses, not good. Not good. So it happens every year. People fall in love with these mid rounds picks, forget about undrafted guys. It's a it, they need time to develop. And everybody expects great results early on. That's not going to happen.
3: All right. Let's get into the vacuum. I want to jump back here into this quarterback conversation again. It is the most important position on the football field, and I know we're down the depth chart, but it's still important in my eyes. The Philadelphia Eagles, this is not a hypothetical question. We're uh, dealing with the Philadelphia Eagles, the two guys who are still on the quarterback. Nice, they got at least two. Uh, Jalen Hurts and Joe Flacco. What type of player is best for the Philadelphia Eagles to have as their QB three. Is it a guy like Nick Mullins, who, as you pointed out, has a bunch of NFL starts under his belt? Or is it a guy like, let's say, a Jamie Newman, who actually is a good practice player and has good work ethic, ethics and habits and the like, and is a coachable player, but a guy who's never had a chance to play in the national football league in a game, even a preseason game, certainly Jamie knew knew we didn't Um, which type of a player. Do you think the Eagles would be better making a play for reaching for at this time, a guy who's got a little NFL experience, maybe as a starter or a guy who's still, you're only talking about potential that you haven't even seen him against an NFL defense, but you had good college scouting reports on him. You considered drafting him. You had him on your board the year before, what type of a QB do you think the Eagles should be looking for?
4: I think not just the Eagles. In every instance, if you're going to keep three quarterbacks, number three should be a developmental type, should be a guy who doesn't. I mean, yeah, you, your third quarterback isn't supposed to play. And if he is playing, you're you're screwed anyway, uh, essentially, if you're down to your third quarterback. So you, you do like to get so a guy. Add, to-
3: I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just feel the need to say this. It's happened here in Philadelphia. We did get to see the unstoppable Nate Thudfeld. because he was a QB3-2. These things do
4: happen, John. Yeah, they do happen, but you're screwed when they do happen. Right. You're usually screwed when the backup quarterback happens. Now, Eagles fans don't know that because that's rare. Guess what, guys? It's rare. Usually when your backup quarterback comes in, you're in trouble. Uh, There aren't a lot – there there probably aren't 32 guys in the world that should be NFL starters, to be honest. So there aren't a lot of great backups. And I think Joe Flacco is probably top five, certainly top 10 backup in the NFL uh, with all his ability, all his accomplishments. So third string quarterback, I would prefer to have a developmental type, but that's why you draft one in the mid rounds. That's why you don't wait until after the draft and say, okay, Let's take a flyer on Jamie Newman. He didn't play last year. Um, And by the way, I have no problem with that end of it as well, Jody. I have no problem taking a flyer, but it's not a big deal to move on and say, okay, it did hurt him, not playing. He's not ready. We got to go in a different direction.
3: And the Mac and Mac guys are moving on as well. When you move on, you got to move on, like Johnny Mac just said. We're going to do that, but we're moving on to bigger and better things because we got our next guest ready to join us. Uh, I've only been talking football with this guy for the last, oh, I don't know. 30 plus years he's been covering the league for that long as long as I've been doing uh, the sports radio stuff Um, he contributes for a bunch of different sites fan site NFL spin zone writes for full press coverage Uh, our buddy Russell Baxter is going to join us next here on birds 365
0: I get scared sometimes of a lot of things
6: joining in
5: decisions
6: the dark
5: it's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at goarmy.com. Birds
9: 365
3: with the Mac-a-Mac guys. John McCone Jody McDonald here with you, joining us. On our stream is one of my best friends when it comes to the world of, world of football. Uh, you know, I did time together at ESPN, and he's been coming to my shows for decades now. Uh, Russell Baxter joins us here on Birds
9: 365. How are you, Russell? I'm doing terrific, John. It's a pleasure to meet you. And, uh, you know, I was actually talking about you yesterday, Jody. I was getting a little golf in, and uh, an old colleague, I don't know if you remember, Craig Wax, who used to work with me in the in the research department. Uh, talking about the fact that I, I remember first coming on the air with you in 1988. Oh wow. Which was 5 years before free agency even started. <laughs> okay? 1988. Well, was that what's that plan B free agency, Russell? Was that Oh, it's on the verge of it. I think I think yeah. I almost say plan B started like 1990 yeah, or something right. like that. I mean, 1988, the 88 season was the year the Niners won their third Super Bowl. Yeah. And they were coming off. we were coming off a strike year. And um you know, guys like Frank Ross and Peter Hayes and and all, all the old gang and stuff and uh, great memories from college and pro football, News Weekly, and then ESPN and just I was actually at a, an ESPN reunion uh, a week and a half ago that they had um, saw Boomer and uh, you know Boomer Boomer not the Boomer Boomer on the Hawaiian swimming and fish diet right now he looks absolutely tremendous Wow. Yeah.
3: Get out of here.
9: And, and they still got him working. He just uh, agreed to continue doing stuff on uh, the internet for them, right? Yeah. Listen, I, I was lucky enough to work on Primetime in the studio for 17 years with Tommy and Boomer, who were close friends. And you know the popularity of that show, when they were on it, was oh, yeah. it's probably the best show in the history of ESPN. I say that, on, I'm, I'm saying that maybe biasly, but unbiasedly. Um, because I can remember the reaction from players who would, get back in the locker room and watch it. And I can tell you doing that show live. Wow. I mean, just so much fun and the chemistry between Chris and Tommy. And it was really uh, Jody and John, the late highlights because the early highlights, you know, you got the screen in advance, the late highlights, here come the PAs and they're handing them the shot sheets and they're seeing this stuff for the first time. And, you know, just the magic of the two of them together uh, was fantastic. I was part of something extremely special,
4: yeah. Russell, those days were great because you, everything wasn't watered down, so you have this immediacy right. now, which is great, but you didn't have that build up the build to see Chris and, and Tom do that stuff on an NFL Sunday. Even going back further, I mean, you remember Monday Night Football halftime oh, sure. highlights, you know, when people used to have to watch it, wait. To see teams out of market, to see you know, it, in a lot of ways, it seems silly to the younger generation, but it built up a lot of the popularity because people were waiting for it. They were desperate for it. It was it was a great time. You obviously can't go back to it. Yeah, you rely I mean, you relied on Howard
9: Cosell's halftime highlights. Yeah. If you were a team that was not in a big market, now you watch a game on your phone. Now yeah. you watch a game on your watch. Now, yeah. you, watch your watch. now yeah. you watch a game on your laptop. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I you know, we have e- NFL Red Zone, which I think is phenomenal. Yeah. Scott Hansen does an absolutely fantastic job. And I know a lot of those people who work at NFL Network because I, I used to work with them and so on. But the, you know, when you try to talk to people today, not try it, it sounds weird. Um, when you talk to people today about how I used to watch football and we used to watch football, yeah. they, they don't really understand it, like, oh you mean you couldn't see all the games? <laughs> all what games? Okay. <laughs> And now it's so much different. There's so much access. And it's, it's. But for me, it's so much fun. I mean, I've been watching football for more than 50 years, which is hard to believe because I'm only, you know, 33. (laughs) All
3: right, Russell, uh, let's get down to this upcoming year, which again, I get this, but every time I see it, I roll my eyes. The biggest season in the history of the National Football League. Why? Because they're going to play a 17th game. Just me, I would wait till after the season is played before I declare it the biggest season in the history of the National Football League but I get promotion and everything else. What effect will a 17th game actually have to do? Will there be more in you? Will we scrutinize it? Will we over-scrutinize it? Will it come down to week 17? How does adding another game, above and beyond adding millions of dollars to the corporates of the NFL, how will it actually affect the play on the
9: field this season well you know you know what's really funny there have been a few players in history and i think jerry rice comes to mind right off the bat that had played 17 games in a regular season they wind up getting mm-hmm. traded or moving to another team that yeah. didn't have the bye week yeah by the way i know you guys will recall this the usfl played 18 games regular season. That's the iconic
3: USFL, Russell. Yeah, the iconic. Jody
4: yelled at me. By the way, Russell, you will know because you're a research guy. I I said the USFL was a big deal in its time because they stole so many players. The Jim Kellys of the world, the Anthony Carters, Gary Zimmerman, Reggie White started. Hall of Fame players started in the USFL. And uh, Jody, I was shocked because Jody's been around for a long time like me. I was shocked. He was like, eh. I, I, the, the USFL was a big deal. Tell him, Russell.
9: The USFL would have survived if they would have stuck with their game plan. I'm not going to go into who wanted to change the game yeah. plan and take yeah, it out of the, know, the we spring were. and so on. And I say that, John, because look at the success that the Arena Football League had for 20-plus years. Okay? They had they had their old niche. People are cr- craving football okay it's funny you brought up Reggie White I want to say 1985 he played close to 30 regular season games because he played in the USFL and later played in the NFL yeah the same year
4: yeah
9: so um 17 game season honestly Jody I, I was hoping they'd go for an 18 game season like the USFL and th- and this is why I say that and this is what you could have done to schedule now it's interesting. That the 17th game they chose to be an interconference game rather than a conference game. See, now you know how the slotted thing works, okay? Say you're a team in the NFC East, and you—I'll say just Washington because they won, okay? You know you play another division, you know you play another uh, four games against the conference, and you play your own division, and then you play the other first-place teams in your conference that you did not are not originally facing. To me, if you would have gone to eighteen games, you could have had a home and home with those other two teams in the conference, the first place teams. And think of it—maybe we get to see Buffalo and Kansas City twice in a year. Okay, maybe we get to see, you know, New Orleans and Green Bay twice in the year. And you know, listen—you go, you guys also remember the old last last place schedule when there were five teams. Yeah, that's when it really was a last place schedule because you play the last place teams twice. In your yeah. conference, so I, to you know, if, sports has changed so much. It's it's. I understand the safety issues and and all that, um, but I also you know I go back to an era in baseball, and I'm not the biggest baseball expert or Maven at all. I remember getting up as a kid and watching, read the paper and see Wilbur Woods win loss record twenty five and twenty four. <laughs> okay, those guys all pitched. They pitched long times. It's now. Pitching is the emphasized It's almost like playing time is somewhat the yeah. emphasized Does that make sense?
4: Yeah, it does. I, I, I just told Jody last week I was down a baseball wormhole, and somehow I ended up on Catfish Hunter. And I'm looking at complete games, and it was like 30-something. Oh, 30-something <laughs> complete games. And I'm like, wow, wow, how, how much has this game changed? But everybody's like that. and and. Sure. Certainly, uh, from an NFL standpoint, they call it load management in the NBA. The players are concerned about that extra game. Mm-hmm. But we know, Russell, they're getting to 18 games, but it's a process. You got to yes. get there with negotiation with the union. Do you think they have to have a second bye week when they go to 18 games? Because I hear this about the 17-game schedule, and I'm thinking to myself, well, if one bye week is fine with 16 games, why does an extra game make two mandatory? I, I kind of don't understand that part of it. Well, of course, I go back to the days where there were no bye weeks. Yeah. Okay.
9: And, but I will, I will point this out. In 1993, we did have an 18 game season. I'm sorry, an 18 week season. And every team did have two bye weeks. Mm hmm. I never understood the reason why. It was the first year free agency, which had no bearing. There was no off week between Super Bowl that week either, John. But here's what I found. Early in the season, a team would play three or four games, and then they would be off. And they'd play four or five games, and then they would be off. And there was no rhythm to the football whatsoever. It's like watching the first – you know how the first month uh, of the season now is very choppy? At least I think it is. There's no continuity. The offensive linemen haven't gelled together, which is so important and so on. We, you know, we see teams get hot later in the year because they don't know who the hell they are in the beginning of the year. So, uh, you know, Kansas City struggles on defense, get their act together, win the Super Bowl. Tampa Bay, seven and five, get their act together and win the Super Bowl. OK, so there's no rhythm to the early season. I, I mean, I'm going to sound like the fuddy-duddy here, it was almost there was almost better football when we had a 16 game season than no off weeks. Let me borrow
3: your fuddy-duddy cap here, uh, which I have no problem wearing and being <laughs> Mr. Negative. A um, bunch of superstar quarterbacks in this league during this offseason have had issues. Russell Wilson, not long mm-hmm. after the season was overdone with, uh, made it pretty well known that he wasn't completely happy in Seattle. We got that Rogers guy. Maybe you've heard he's got some issues with Green Bay. Deshaun I heard he's Watson. headed
9: to the. I heard he's headed to the Lakers. By the way, I think that's the latest, latest rumor. Okay, he want, we know he wants the West Coast,
3: so the Lakers <laughs> would fill that void for him. Um, and Deshaun Watson has all of his problems down in tech. It keeps the National Football in the daily conversation, which is a good thing. But other than Russell Wilson, who seems to have mended fences with Seattle, we don't know if Deshaun Watson's going to play football this year. Shoot, right. we don't know if M. Rogers is going to play football this year. He might right. just say, Yeah, I'll go do the Jeopardy thing for a year. You don't want to trade me, Green Bay? I'll step away for a year. I'll, I'll announce my retirement and let the world know that I'll come back anytime anybody asks. How does the NFL management they this? They're as good at public relations and keeping the NFL fans satiated with information. But when you're losing superstar players at that position, it's got to be a loss, right? Is the NFL actually looking at issues this offseason with star players not being available to quarterback teams?
9: Well, I've never been the one who says any publicity is good publicity. I can tell you that. I've never bought into that whatsoever. And, you know, I know Mark Murphy came out and and made a statement recently about, you know, the Aaron Rodgers situation dividing the fan base. And I I think it's divided more than just the fan. I think it's divided NFL fans because he is such a prolific... Aaron Rodgers blows me away when I watch him. I, I've never seen a person – listen, Dan Marino had an unbelievable race, but I've never seen anybody throw the ball like Aaron Rodgers. And, again, I'm, not, I'm just going to do regular season. He's been in the league since 2005. He's been the starting quarterback since 2008. I know he's gotten hurt. He's thrown over 400 touchdown passes, and he still hasn't thrown 100 picks. Okay. I mean, and that's, don't tell me that's just throwing the ball away. This is a magical player. He's a three. It's the right now, the league MVP from this past season is in limbo. Okay. And there's no way that can be good at all. I don't care if, if you're a talk show host or TV show host or anything like that. Now we're into mandatory OTAs and he's not there. So this thing is not getting any better anytime soon. Now we have seen other holdouts. And so on, but I don't think a holdout that's ever good for the league. And of course the Deshaun Watson situation has kind of taken on a different tone with everything that's really going on for him with him and so on. But I mean, think about it. You've got one guy who's the league MVP and one guy who led the league in passing yards, and both of them are in the news for the wrong reasons, basically. Right.
4: You know, Russell, one of the issues the NFL has this season as well, and by the way, the NFL's popularity, I want to frame it like this, often hurts them in weird ways. And I say that because they get dragged into larger societal issues, which, mm-hmm. you know, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. But now we're talking about vaccination, and we're talking about NFL players and NFL coaches, and Brandon being out in Buffalo says, you know what? If some guy's going to not be able to play because he doesn't get vaccinated versus a guy who does get vaccinated can play, I might cut the unvaccinated player. Probably shouldn't have said that. Definitely shouldn't have said that. Got into a little bit of trouble. How do you handle this issue? I mean, it's a really difficult issue. Um, You can't just punish unvaccinated players, but the NFL's got to go forward as best they can is there is there a scenario that can make this a little bit easier
9: well i mean i know the league in the past has, has lack of a better word mandated certain things players and coaches aren't supposed to say and so on and i agree with you 100% that came so far out of left field yeah you know it was like somebody somebody like it was like three or four guys sitting around in office and like overthinking things okay I thought the league did the best it could with COVID last year, okay? The fact that they had to shift things around with the schedule, it's like I used to kid around it. it was like a Rubik's Cube. But it all fell in place when it was all said and done. I didn't understand that at all, what he was really talking about. You know, listen, the Bills are now one of the high-profile teams back in the league again and so on. They're on a rise. They've been, in the play- they've been in the playoffs for about 15, 16 years, and now they've been there three times in four years. So I didn't understand where that came from at all and but unfortunately the entire world now is an open mic it really it really is between social media and stuff that we're doing and zoom calls and every there are there are no secrets anymore i mean i i feel bad for richard nixon because he would, <laughs> he, would he would have never been able to keep a secret that he did <laughs> on twitter and goodness knows he might you know you get my point. I mean, you yeah. really got to be careful with what yeah. you're because it takes all of three minutes to have it scrutinized left and right.
3: Yeah, you got to be careful if you're circling those wagons and you're going to determine yes. how to do it by who is or isn't vaccinated. You got to be careful <laughs> with that kind of stuff. All right, uh, Russell, we need your national columnist opinion on the hometown team because we've commented a lot about how everyone's got their power rankings out there peter king just a couple of weeks weeks ago uh, slotted the eagles in it number 28 out of 32 teams in the national football league for those not good at math that's not good that means there's only four teams worse than the eagles in peter's opinion um how low is low i'm sure you're doing your evaluating of all the teams in the national football league uh, I, neither John nor I are putting the Eagles into the Super Bowl, but we both think they're a little better than the fifth best team out of 32 in the National Football League. Uh, what kind of a power ranking? Where do you think the Eagles fall in in the uh, power listing of the NFL teams, knowing that we've still got months to go before the season starts? But we all do this from time to time.
9: I'm actually working on a piece, uh, an offseason piece uh, on the last place teams from a year ago. Uh, which is hard to believe you go from the Super Bowl. But listen, it doesn't take long. The Eagles went from Super Bowl champion to last place in three years. San Francisco went from Super Bowl participant to last place in less than a year. Okay. And a lot of that I understand had to do with injuries. To me, the Eagles are less about uh, deficiency and more about mystery. Okay. I mean, this is a new look team with a new look coaching staff a quarterback who who saw some action last year, a defense uh, that fell off even though they still have a lot of quality defensive linemen, but their defense is, is been deteriorating. They you know, the team gave up the most sacks in the league last year and I know that had to do with key injuries on the offensive line. I look at the NFC East and Dallas, look, listen, I know they drafted eight defensive players at their 11 picks, okay? They still got a ways to go to get get those guys to gel. Um if I'm in the NFC East, I'm concerned about Washington and the Giants because of what they are on defense. Washington more with the pass rush in that front four. The Giants kind of remind me of Seattle earlier. You know, in the early there's, you know, Logan Ryan and Jabril Pe- Jabril Peppers really came on as a leader and a force on that Giant. Joe Judge, you know, they're zero and five. They go six and five. So to me, the Eagles, the E stands for Enigma. As of right now, of what exactly they're going to be, and uh, again, the strength of the team is probably that defensive front. They still have those guys, but um, you know, it was a team that, for other reasons, the ball struggled to stop the run. And I'm a big, if you can't stop the run, you can't stop anything, okay? Because not stopping the run opens so many other things up. Our our friend Tom Jackson used to say, "No, no defense is great unless they're great against the run," and I kind of believe that as well. So. I think they're kind of a mystery team right now. I I think it's hard to put them that because it's not a team without talent, okay, and it's not a team without uh, experienced players. So 28 seems a little low, but you know, to each his own, okay. I mean that'll change in a month, and then that one will change in a month, and then we'll be in the middle of October, and all of a sudden they'll be number four and
4: four. If you are looking for sort of a surprise coming out of the NFC East, Russell, do you look at that Washington front, or maybe do you look at that Dallas Cowboy uh, skill position group? Because if you add Dak Prescott back to Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup and Ezekiel Elliott. Oh, by the way, they had a ton of injuries on the offensive line. So Zach Martin's back. Ron Smith is back. Lyle Collins is back. Dallas looks pretty good on paper, at least on the offensive side. Well, what was interesting about Dallas
9: was Mike McCarthy takes over, okay? They still had the aura of a power football team in terms of Ezekiel Elliott. He's almost been like de-emphasized, okay? It's more about throwing the ball and taking advantage of those three wide receivers. And it's weird because it kind of reminds me of what Mike McCarthy did eventually with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, they abandoned balance. Okay. They be, became him carrying the football team. And then once he was out, they were, they were helpless. So I think that lack of balance, that lack of physical presence, in the offensive line also helps, I mean, hurts the defense. Okay. And of course Mike Nolan turned out to be a one year disaster. Let's, let's face it. I mean, you know, they were just absolutely horrendous to me, the giant, I've already mentioned the giants, the Giants' defense bears watching, and if Daniel Jones can pick up where he left off last year, which was not dropping the ball and also tripping when no one's around well, and he's running down the speed of okay, you get Barkley back. Their offensive line is a little bit of a question mark, though. So, to me, the Giants, I think, are the team that could sneak up. But, wow. you know, think about this. It's two years in a row that no team in the NFC East has won 10 games. Yep. Two years in a row. I have to go back and I don't know if that's happened very often.
4: Yeah, it's been a bad division. I will, you know, the Giants, one thing that concerns me, Russell, about the Giants, maybe I'm overblowing it, but I'd like Dalvin Tomlinson as a player. I'm surprised they let him off. (laughs) You're not overblowing it at all, okay? I, 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 Frank, I totally agree with you.
9: And Minnesota had a disaster on defense last year. I mean, you don't see that in Mike Zimmer. I think they went from giving up. I'm looking, I'm cheating. They went from giving up 303 points to 475. Yeah. Okay. No Daniel Hunter. He missed the whole season. Their pass rush was cut in half. Dalvin, I totally agree with you. And I know Leonard Williams is coming off a career year, but Dalvin Thompson is a big loss for the Giants. And it is a huge pickup for Minnesota who's trying to rebound on that defensive eyes ball. I think you're you're 120% spot on with that.
3: All right, Russell, need your opinion on rookie head coaches. You've been following the league and teams for a long period of time. It's a tough spot to step into when you've never been a head coach before. If you've had some experience elsewhere, Mm -hmm. you're getting your second chance or your third chance, a little bit more feasible, and you can go in and do things, get things accomplished year one. A little tougher when you're getting that first gig, and that's certainly – what the uh, Eagles are asking of Nick Sirianni this year. You just mentioned the Giants. Giants did it last year with Joe Judge. And I do think that as the season went on, he got better, they got better. What kind of a fit do you think Sirianni and this Eagle roster is? Uh, Agree or disagree? It is pretty difficult for a first-year head coach to be able to uh, find ways to get teams above that 500 mark.
9: Well, correct me if I'm wrong, he's also got a first-year defensive coordinator as well, and he, he's got somebody who can't, you know, who's going to be learning on the job like he is in terms of that role. Um, so I think that makes it even tougher. I mean, you, you see some rookie head coaches around the league throughout the years who wind up hiring someone who has previous head coaching experience that can help them. Guide them. I mean, again, I remember when Sean McVay joined the Rams. He hired Wade Phillips or they hired Wade Phillips. And he, you know, Wade's been not only a great defensive coordinator throughout the years, he's been a a solid coach. When you, the first thing, when you said rookie head coach, the first thing that popped into my mind was Arthur Smith down in Atlanta. Okay. He wasn't even really a coordinator that long in Tennessee, but do you know what they did? They managed to coax Dean Pease at a retirement. Okay. And he worked with Dean in Tennessee and Tennessee's defense has not been the same since Dean Pease left, even though Mike Rabel was there. And last year, they really couldn't commit on, you know, they, they, I'm calling the plays, you're calling the plays, blah, blah, blah. And they've kind of settled in on that now. Okay. But when you, I think a rookie head coach, I don't know how, because Atlanta has been, they were horrible. They give the most passing yards in the league last year, but I think it's going to be tough for Sirianni because, everyone's going to be learning together. You've got a, you know, relatively new quarterback. You've got guys who don't have that experience. And being a head coach, as you know, in this league, is so much different than just being a play caller.
4: Yeah, it's interesting, Russell. We mentioned that earlier in the show, Sean McVay with Wade Phillips. I even went, you know, Matt LaFleur with, he had Mike Patton, who had been a head coach. Here in Philadelphia, Doug Peterson had Jim Swartz. Uh, On and on, Matt Nagy had Vic Fangio, who wasn't a head coach but been around forever and is now a head coach. Uh, I don't see that for Nick Sirianni. Jonathan Gannon, as you mentioned, first-time defensive coordinator. Um, uh, Michael Clay is the youngest coordinator in the NFL, the special teams coordinator. They have the youngest position coach, Nick Rollis. Look, I I don't want to be an ageist, a reverse ageist, but I I do think there's something to experience and there there's nothing to lean on. Am I being too, too, too pessimistic? No, I, not at all. I mean, I think it lends to what I said about them
9: being a mystery team. Okay. I mean, they're going to bear watch in the first five or six weeks of the season. Okay. Because they're going to make mistakes. And, and I'm sure down in Philadelphia, which is my hometown, by the way, and so on, you know, the first, sign of weakness or a bad call or a questionable call, everybody's going to kind of jump on all over it and so on. But yeah, it's, you know, you just don't come in here and become Vince Lombardi in six weeks. Okay. And if you don't have somebody who can guide you through the rough edges, again, they're all going to be learning together. Okay. I mean, you know, it's like throwing five people in a room and telling them to build a car and none of them can drive. <laughs> that, that's a bit of an issue. uh, Russell, who
3: is a great follow on Twitter, at BacksFootballGuru, is uh, always putting up informational nuggets, and I checked it out today, and uh, you are tremendous at the countdowns as well. How many days till that Hall of Fame game? How many days till opening day for the other 30 teams in the National Football League?
9: Well, 91 days till the NFL season opener, so that's Kevin Green, Okay. And 56 days. I don't have to tell you who 56 yeah, days yeah. is. Until the, so the Eagle Hall of Fame fans, really know that number okay. pretty well. Although, yeah. you know what's funny? I actually got retweeted by the people who run Andre Tippett's account today. He was a great 56. He's in yes. the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But, of course, Lawrence Taylor and so on. I appreciate yeah. that. I have fun with the countdown. I'm going to throw
4: really... Chris Dolman out there. Oh, I he's, on, of, he's well. on there.
9: I don't just do one, John. No, I mean, no, no. I do. I'm pretty thorough. And the thing I get more of a kick out of anything now is watching the former players who I tag retweet it and then follow me. Like yesterday, Dwight Stevenson follows me. Okay. Um, Carl Banks follows me. Um, you know, take your pick. You know, different guys, Chad Brown, the old Steelers linebacker and, and so on. Seth Joyner, who I've gotten to know a little bit, at, you know, at, at, at other things and TV and golf tournaments and stuff like that. As soon as 59 comes up, out it goes, and now you know that some of these numbers are better than others. Seventy-five, yeah, eighty-eight, mm-hmm. number twelve. I haven't gotten Tom Brady or Terry Bradshaw to follow me back yet, so yeah, I'm
4: surprised Tom hasn't followed you. Keep working on it. He's, no boy, he's, he's, he's a social, yeah, he's a social Oh, he's going to give you. I'm going to give you a countdown, a local Philadelphia countdown. Okay, five, Russell, and five is a big number because in five days, Nick Sirianni turns. 40 and with that I assume comes great wisdom when he turns over to 40 years old there you go I mean I was
9: I was just kind of flip-flopping between Joe Flacco and Donovan there so yeah that makes more sense oh I'm sorry or Paul Paul Horning. Yes.
3: It's been yes. pretty damn good fives. Russell, great stuff. We appreciate you coming on with us. We will tap into your inside again that much more as the season plays along. Hope you enjoyed your time here on Birds 365. We are going to suck you back in again. Thanks, buddy. Absolutely. A lot of fun
9: again, John. It's a pleasure to meet you as well. Thanks, Russell.
3: Russell Baxter, NFL columnist, has been doing it for decades and been good enough to hop on my radio shows. We will now drag him in on our YouTube shows as well. You're okay with that, right? You're you're okay with Russell? Yeah, I love
4: Russell. love a historian. Russell's an historian. That's my wheelhouse. Every year, I did the NFL draft for whatever radio station
3: I was working, mostly WFAN, a couple times WIP. I think I made 13 out of 15 drafts. In a 15-year period, I hosted a show from the NFL draft 13 times. One year, I think they had Mets. A uh, Mets doubleheader, so they had no need for NFL draft coverage, and the other I had a wedding to go to. Uh, but I went to 13 out of 15, and hanging with uh, Russell Baxter, Chris Berman, and a bunch of the ESPN guys after I'd left ESPN both uh, during the draft and then after the draft till the wee hours of the morning for yeah, that's the best post-part. part celebration are some of the best football talking days I've ever had. All right, we'll come back, put a bow on the show. we got a couple of minutes left here on Birds 365.
6: I get scared sometimes.
5: Of a lot of things.
6: Joining in.
5: Decisions.
6: The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say.
0: But as I always say.
6: It's okay to be afraid.
0: As long as you face the fear
5: it's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at goarmy.com. Coming
3: down the home stretch of A Birds 365 gathering, Jody McDonald at. You. John McMullen, wounded warrior John McMullen, who we found out on today's show has had not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six knee surgeries. I had no idea that was the case. And he has never used Torrey all to get through
4: it. I don't oh, know. I've used much, much worse than that, Jody. <laughs> much worse. Have you ever gone to cannabis to kill the pain? No, me? no, but not for the reason you think. I'm not, I'm like, I don't care what anybody. I don't like smoking. I don't I don't smoke. I don't like inhaling anything. Now, there are edibles now, so I yeah. can go that route. Yeah, but uh, uh, I got too much work to do. I got, I, I got 75 jobs. Yeah. It, if you're going
3: edibles, you're going actual gummy bears, is that what you're trying to tell us, that your choice of edibles is something with a little bit more sugar in it, perhaps?
4: I mean, if you want to go throw some my way, I'll try it.
3: I'll work on that. I've got contacts. We'll see if we can make that happen. All right, there we go. Uh, We thank Russell Baxter for coming on. And he's going to help lead us into our tease for tomorrow because we got off on a little bit of a tangent talking about giant stuff with Russell, who, by the way, I found out today Saquon Barkley might not be ready for the start of the season. I had not mm-hmm. seen that written anywhere. Leading, up. He hurt himself in September last year, and that's usually a nine-month injury. So I thought it was a foregone conclusion he'd be ready for the start of this season. Read today that that might not be the case, and that's a plus but eagles because i happen to be a huge sake barkley fan i had no problems when they made him the number two pick in the draft and didn't go quarterback because i thought he was a once in a 10 year type talent at that position and he certainly showed that in his rookie year but has unfortunately been hurt these last two seasons i thought if he came back yeah the giants are going to be an improved football team um but that might not be the case uh we did a giant spot who do we have on when we did our giant spot. Uh, uh, Zach Rosenblatt. Uh, uh, It was great when we had Zach on. We are going to do this from time to time. John and I agreed. We got to go behind enemy lines. Uh, We had uh, our buddy Chris Russell on to talk Redskins last week and, He gave us some inside information on uh, Ryan Kerrigan, Ryan Kerrigan, the newest Eagle uh, defensive lineman who wasn't saying as much up here, but down in Washington, Chris was getting good uh, information on how he may be used this upcoming season. Well, tomorrow we're going to, we have, we saved them for last, at least the three divisional teams. Uh, We're going to get some cowboy perspective. John Machota, who covers the Cowboys for the athletic outstanding uh, Cowboys Beat writer. I've had him on my national radio show before. Good dude. Knows his uh, boys in blue and the star on the helmet
4: real well. Do you know John at all? Uh don't know John at all, but okay. I'm excited. You know, got into a little Cowboys with uh, with Russell there at the end. And that offense, man, I'll tell you what, it looks pretty impressive on paper. We'll see how it's shaping up with John. All comes down to uh, Zach
3: Prescott, uh, Dak Prescott and his health. Um, I, I thought there was a better chance that Dak wouldn't be ready for the season than Saquon Barkley, but apparently that's not the case. So uh, tomorrow, John Machota of The Athletic is scheduled to, ju- to join us as our behind the enemy lines uh, spot. So uh, we will be back in 22 hours. Johnny Mac, you don't have any surgeries on your knee scheduled today? Do you? Yeah.
4: <laughs> no, I haven't. By the way, well, well, they told me I should get a knee replacement. I'm not doing that, Jody. Not doing it. So I'm fighting through it. So I need some tour all. Anybody out there with some Toradol, anti-inflammatories.
3: I'll I'll work on the edibles for you, but uh, edibles or not, yeah, I don't want any part edibles. That means I'll sleep through the beginning of the show again. <laughs> not happening here, but John can do that. He's allowed to sleep through the beginning of the show at least once so he get even. Uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. We'll be back in 22 hours right here on Birds 365.
2: If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast
1: on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you.